Are you ready to stop stress, anxiety, and low self-esteem from ruining your life? Join award-winning author and breakthrough expert, Dr. Friedman Schaub for Empowerment Radio as he addresses some of the most difficult challenges in our day-to-day lives. Find out how you can use the power of your mind to overcome self-sabotaging patterns and build a solid foundation of confidence and self-respect. Learn cutting-edge tools to switch out of survival mode and approach every day with greater ease, joy, and purpose. Here is your host on Empowerment Radio, Dr. Friedman Schaub. Gary, welcome to Empowerment Radio. I'm so glad that you're here. Well, I am too, Friedman. It's, I've been looking forward to this for some time, as you know. It's, I'm really happy to be here. Well, which is really funny because, uh, you know, when after 20 years, Danielle and I actually were, you know, facing some old patterns and uh, challenges that didn't really always create the most harmonious way of yeah. connecting to each other. A friend of ours suggested to work with Gary. And I think it wasn't the first or the second time we met that uh, you said something about, I think I'm on your radio show. And I had no idea. So it was kind of funny that uh, we actually stumbled across each other beforehand. And I cannot only recommend your work and your book, but also your work with clients. So uh, I have sent you clients that are very happy. And so uh, anyone who wants to really improve their relationship to love and their loved ones, Gary is the person to go. But let's, let's talk about your uh, journey because it's kind of an interesting job you have, a very desirable job to help people to love and help people to have better loving relationships. How did you get to that place? Well, you know, it, for me, it started like way back when I was seven you know, growing up in an alcoholic family. And I noticed that few of them were happy. A lot of them were divorced. And even when I was seven, I realized that my aunts took up drinking because it was better to get drunk with their their husbands than to be left alone night after night. Mm. And I asked myself, why in the world can't adults love? And so when I went to college, I said, I'm going to make sure I never get a divorce. So I had a degree in, in psychology and religion. I was about ready to graduate and a professor gave me a, a psychological test and called me into his office and gave me the results. And as I was walking out, Friedman, he says, oh, by the way, you have a 90% chance of having a divorce. I mean, How grenades. What percentage? 90. 90%. <laughs> <laughs> grenades going off. Oh, I've got two majors and I haven't licked it, right? And so I, I delayed uh, graduation and went a fifth year to get another degree in marriage and family. I said, Whew, and dodged that bullet. And then 12 years later, the shock of my life was when my first wife says, I want a divorce. I mean, I'd done everything, right? And so I hunkered down and I did about seven, eight, 10 years. I know I was like with one therapist, like seven and a half years. And I really, really worked. I said, okay, if, if degrees, let's just do therapy and let's get it down, right? And then for, I got married thinking, I've got this down. And four years later, we're going through another divorce. And I'm shocked. And it was when I began to realize that my patterns had not changed, that therapy had done me a lot of good, uh, degrees had done me a lot of good, but it hadn't shifted the core way I chose or showed up. 
Either one would do it. I either pick someone who would be distant or I'd be distant. And uh, at one point I said, if they haven't mastered the code, then I will. I, I, it just became my life purpose because no one should work that hard mm -hmm. <clears throat> and did not have the results. As, and you know, you and I are both kind of results people. <laughs> but you're definitely then an expert in failed relationships too, which is, uh, you know, something that has been very, I guess, a very good teaching ground for yourself, for, you know, what you experienced with your relationships. And probably you can really relate a lot to what other people had experienced. Just like, you know, I needed to have my own anxiety in order to understand people's anxiety. Oh, yeah, it's like that old movie, It Takes a Thief. <laughs> the government finds this guy that hacked airlines and say, how do we get this guy, you know. If you haven't been there, and that's part of why I think, when I really started looking at the, res the, the research, right, um, I could tell, and I would just step in, would this have changed those core feelings? And I could say, yep, that would, that would help. Uh, no, no, that's really nice footnote. It's got some nice academic stuff. And I began to just tune into, you know, what was going on in me, what was going on in my clients more. And um, eventually I realized it was these four feelings that everybody has that either you have them or you don't. And if you have them in you know, these four feelings of welcome with joy and worthy and nourished and cherished and protected and empowered with choice, those are the four feelings that tell you. Well, you life. have to make those feelings more slow again. Say them out yes. loud because they're really important. So what are they? I, uh, what we found out is, is what tells a brain that they're, they are secure, really loved, and loving. And there's something called the strange situation where we can take a child, separate them from their mother for a few minutes, and based on how they, they, they act at the reunion, we can tell whether they're secure or anxious or avoidant at one years old. And this love style will track for the rest of their life. Um, now, the secure are those who, you know, they're the people that choose well and <clears throat> they, they are comfortable being committed and being depended on and depending on somebody else. They generally attune and they usually pick pretty good partners. They're the ones that create the lasting love. And are the and secure the ones always coming from secure families, like secure models in their, in their parents? Or can you have a secure uh, lifestyle with a dysfunctional upbringing? Usually, it's they've had some, somebody secure in their life. Or now, yet you can have something called an earned secure. That's what I've got. <laughs> you know, I used work. to be an avoidant. Yes, you can restore it. But for most people, even now, sometimes somebody got just enough from an aunt or a teacher or maybe one of the parents that the other one didn't affect it so much. So not everybody with a secure love style comes from a perfect family. And nobody has a perfect, we said secure, we didn't say perfect love style. <laughs> nobody has one of those, right? Um, but they generally have somewhere along the line, if someone's doing better than you would predict, you know they got it from someone. So how do you know that you have a secure love style? So let's say you're, you're just wondering, so what's my, my love style? I mean, it's also based on the attachment theory, right? So what, yes. what is my connection to love? How would they know that they have a secure one? Okay, so the, <clears throat> you could ask the question, so uh, does this feel true or not? Yeah. Uh, I generally uh, feel good depending on somebody in a relationship and being dependent on. I expect to give 
and to receive. And it feels good being in a partnership. And, I, and when things go wrong, we tend to make uh, up and uh, we don't hold our grudges for very long. We tend to work things out. That sounds very good, very yes. desirable. Yes, that's pretty much in a nutshell what the secure do. If you can say yes to that, you're probably pretty secure, right? So it's um, secure in the relationship. It's not secure with yourself necessarily. I know, I think the secure do feel secure within themselves, mm. generally speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, they, <clears throat> they do. <clears throat> they're pretty confident that they're lovable <laughs> and then they're loving, right? Um, the anxious and the avoidant, not so much. <laughs> so just do that, because that's really something that often uh, comes uh, up for people. Can I love someone when I don't find myself lovable? Can I be in a good relationship when I don't love myself? Well, <clears throat> you, you, you can, but it's going to have some rocky points, you know? And I think generally speaking, it is true that we can only give the feelings that we've got inside of us. It's going, you know, so if someone doesn't feel lovable, it's go they, they're going to be anxious. When does that person go, want to go away, right? Uh, how do I know that they're going to stay a lifetime? And that anxiety can really eat at a relationship, as you well know. The other one, if they don't feel lovable, they can do a preemptive move. They go, you know, I know they're going to go away. I'm really not that stuff. And they do little subtle distancing things that eat away. <laughs> Unlovable, that's what the avoidance do. Uh, so it's important. Uh, us, Whatever feelings we have, we tend to give. Uh, what I, The story I tell about this is, you know, one of the key feelings of when you're loved and all children with these secure feelings is they've been welcomed with joy, right? Uh, uh, good morning, Friedemann. <laughs> it's really good to see you. you know? uh -huh. Or with a little one, oh, there's, you know, there's little Friedemann there, you know, when you're a little, right? That's welcome. I was Peanut Pan, not Friedemann. <laughs> <laughs> Peanut Pan. Peanut Pan. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great, man. That's a, that's a term of endearment, right? Yeah. Now, and that feeling is something we have to give. You wake up in the morning, you look, you look at your beloved, good morning, gorgeous, right? Or when they come in at night, you go, gosh, you look beautiful. You, or you look like you had a bad day. Come over and get a hug. That's welcomed with joy. Now, um, you can give, <clears throat> you can tell, give couples skill sets, right, uh, on how to welcome each other with joy, but they don't feel welcomed. It's hard to give it. And the story I tell is uh, years, when I was about tw 25, I, I met my third grade teacher. <laughs> and, mo and she told me this story. You know, I went through first, and then my sister went through three years later. My sister took after more after my borderline mother. <clears throat> so and I'm, and as if you have somebody borderline, they're not real good at welcoming with joy, right? Mm. And me, I, I went everywhere in the opposite direction, <laughs> right? So Mrs. Graham was one of those wonderful ladies that always had guest lecturers, and she would have, she would point one person to be the greeter, and the greeter would open the door and welcome the person. So first couple of days of class, she appoints uh, my sister to um, be the greeter, and she goes, well, what do I do? Um, and Mrs. Graham says, well, you go and you open the door and you go, welcome in. <clears throat> The time comes, knock on the door. Mrs. Graham nods at my sister. My sister walks up. 
opens the door and says, well, come in. <laughs> See, she, she got the skill set, <laughs> but the feeling was not quite. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. But that's, and, that's, yeah, that's interesting. So were you the greeter too at some point? I, I was the greeter. And she, yeah, according to Mrs. Grant, she goes, I was always like, well, come on in. We've been looking for you. And she goes, that's when I realized that your sister was not going to be a replay. <laughs> <laughs> but when couples come in, and sometimes if you teach them a skill set, and you first haven't restored the right to feel welcomed with joy and to welcome others, or right to feel worthy and nourished, and to, and to give that feeling. If they don't have the reference feeling deep within them, they will not give it. They'll do the skill set, you know, they'll follow the little handout, even if you give them a hand, and somehow, if they don't feel worthy, they will somehow do it with just enough criticism <laughs> yeah. to make, you know, and so it's important that these feelings be in our, in our, body in our and right deep in our soul right so that we can give them because welcome people make people feel welcome worthy people make people feel worthy and they won't choose people that make them feel unworthy that's because these are reference feelings the feelings are our reference feelings, like a gps that point us towards the true north or getting off in the woods if we don't have these four feelings, you remember back when GPS wasn't all as good as it was these days and they'd take you down a road that was, <laughs> you know, under construction or something, or would lead you through the backwoods and you'd never get to your destination. That's what it's like when we don't have these four feelings to guide us. Now, after the break, we're going to talk more about those feelings because I want to definitely learn more about this GPS. And we will also talk about, again, these love styles and how people know that they're either avoiders or have an anxious love style. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. I am here with Dr. Gary Salayer. Actually, I didn't even ask you how to say your last name. Is it Salayer? It's Salayer. Sal oh my goodness. Salier. Salier. Okay. <laughs> and we just talked about love styles and also those feelings that we really want to have in a loving relationships. Now, Gary, back to those uh, love styles. Let's say someone has problems with relationships, but they don't really know what they're doing, quote unquote, wrong. So you talked about secure love style is secure attachment but then there is also avoidance and the other mm -hmm. one is the anxious one can you just tell us the difference and how people could figure out which one they fall into yeah that's easy and you know the funny thing was is when we talk about you know what they're doing wrong at one time it was actually right probably for the little one because everybody every one of these the brain took the best deal available at some point it wasn't it wasn't good to, to try to be close and warm in a relationship. Uh, so the best deal for the anxious was, you know, they got intermittent uh, attention and uh, somebody meeting their needs. They're not there, they're not there. So their brain develops up what's called a fight response, right? Mm -hmm. They hyperactivate. Somebody, they're gonna lock that thing down. And so they get, and so for them, it's like, they're always afraid love is going away. 
And they're the ones that ask, um, so where were you last night? Do you still love me? Why didn't you text me back in 10 minutes? Mm. Uh, sometimes, and they, they, they are always afraid that they're not enough. And when does love go away? And they're so afraid of it that it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. The very amount of anxiety, sometimes they don't trust. Uh, and someone says, you know, I'm tired of being in a relationship where they don't see me or they don't trust me because they're too, they're called preoccupied. They're preoccupied with their own pain <coughs> and they can't really fully step into another person. Then there's the avoidance. Go ahead. You were asked something? Well, I was just wondering about the anxious. Is it common <coughs> that people that have an anxious lifestyle also don't really feel lovable or don't really feel like that they deserve to be committed to and therefore you know, they go through this, uh, like you said, clamming it down or holding on to it and probably becoming needy and pleasing all at the same time. They do. They, they, most of the anxious didn't feel worthy. You can almost bank on that, right? Uh, they just, they never got a right to feel, they have a right to have their own needs met or they didn't get a real right to belong. They got more right to be separate and some part of them desperately wanted to feel like they belonged. Hmm. Um, that's what's underneath that, you know, um, they long, they, they long for cuddling a lot of the times they long to, to, to sometimes they really want, they, they'd like a wee, but it, but what it feels like to the others, they, they want closeness so much. It feels like enmeshment, but there's some part of when does love go away? How do I lock it down? Um, and they're very preoccupied. If you ask them about their past, they will tell you story after story for hours and hours and they get lost in the details. Mm. They remember everything uh, and they can't escape the, 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 the constant spinning around past pain. And then there is the avoider. What's the avoider like? Now the avoider was kind of the opposite. The avoider, uh, the avoidance, they, a lot of times they weren't, they weren't welcome with joy into the world, right? Um, they're the ones that were ignored uh, not the, maybe the parents didn't really step into their feelings much or attune to them. And they learned a long time ago, they had to be on their own to survive. It's uh, avoidant babies actually learn to walk sooner than secure babies because mm, some part of their brain says, I, uh, no one's got my back. I have to do this by myself. So they tone down attachment. They're afraid of being dependent on and depending on somebody else there there there's there's two types of them there's the emotionally dismissive person you know if you could be at a funeral and they'd say just get over it <laughs> uh they can't attune and there's the avoidance who are afraid of of just being in a relationship they want to be in one but they also it doesn't feel safe so they're constantly sabotaging it. Mm. the thing is they're they're they uh these tend to become your Marlboro mates. You could be in a marriage with them and they're in the same house, but it feels like they're in a different universe. They don't attune well and they don't create very good partnership. Their biggest fear is, am I going to be dependent on or do I have to be dependent here? Now, what I find interesting about, uh, you know, some of my clients, it seems like that the anxious the ones with the anxious love style are drawn to the ones that are in the avoidant love style. Is that something that you are noticing too, that the ones that need the most love seem to pick the ones that are not available or the least committed? 
Actually, <laughs> there's research for this. Your intuition serves you well. <laughs> uh, it's called, I call it the law of attraction from hell. Uh, the secure, that, you know, the, in the book, you know, I talk about I, you know, the secure take no BS and they give no BS. The secure tend to, because they have these four feelings, they feel welcome, they feel worthy, they feel cherished, and they feel empowered. When you feel that, you don't find someone who just empowers you. You don't find someone who doesn't, who's a taker or, or won't give to you. They tend to pair off, which tends to leave the dating pool with more anxious and avoidance just by sheer, sheer numbers of, a, of subtraction. But <clears throat> they are because for the anxious, that a lot of times anxious uh, had some hit of uh, intrusiveness or a parent that... <clears throat> wasn't there for them, they were there more for themselves. And so when they get that first hit of, of uh, distance, they think, wow, my prayers are answered. But then when they find out that that distance is never going to become close, it becomes their worst nightmare. <clears throat> so you're right. And uh, the avoidance won't uh, pair off with the other avoidance because there's not enough glue to keep them together. Right, definitely. <laughs> Yes. But I mean, that's when the avoidance also feels very smothered easily by the anxious one. And uh, it's just an interesting, uh, I think, combination that uh, I think, like you said, the law of attraction from hell is creating. And, you know, like all of those challenges, probably it's also an opportunity to really see, yeah, I, I need to work on myself because, and that's partially really one of the things I love about your work, that you do go into the more subconscious patterning and those uh, beliefs that really come from our childhood. And just like in my work, really see that as uh, the root causes of challenges that we have decades later and that just repeat themselves. Oh, absolutely. These feelings, uh, I talk about love as the operating system. We use these feelings in all parts of our life. They don't just stay in a tiny little corner called love, they go elsewhere. I mean, if you want to see all the anxious and avoidant, I mean, I talk about this couple in the book. <clears throat> she was anxious and he was avoidant, right? And the way it worked was she, she grew up in a family where uh, there was a lot of moving around and she never truly got to belong. And some part of her <clears throat> really wanted to belong. She was tired of not having the closeness, being put off and all that stuff. <clears throat> He was avoidant. Now, he had the exact opposite. I call this a right to separate and belong. The real secure right is I get to go out and be a me, and I get to come back to a really nice, supportive, wonderful, attuned we. It comes online as a toddler. When the toddler goes out and realizes, wait a minute, I thought mom and dad and I were the same. I'm over there, and they're over there. Oh, I must be a me. But you know how toddlers also want you in this room? If you walk out of the room, you know, they know they're vulnerable. So they want to be a me. They want to play by their toys by themselves, you know, but they want to make sure mom and dad are looking over them. <laughs> right. I, and then the feeling is cherished and protected. Um, when my son was little going through that, he had this little game. It was called go to the top of the stairs, do, make out a funny sound and see if dad still runs track. <laughs> right. Cherished. And, it was a game. Because you'd go, and then I'd know, oh, he's at the top of the stairs again, right? Um, but he knew he was cherished and protected. It was safe being in a weed. So what are those four feelings again? Just remind us. Uh, the, welcomed with joy, 
worthy and nourished to have your needs met. That's cherished and protected. I can be a me in a we. It's a, it's a Goldilocks zone. A me and a we, not just me, like, a, uh, like maybe an avoidant would be, or not just a we like maybe some uh, anxious would want it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then there's empowered with choice. I get to create, that's, and that is, I get to create my own experience. I get to be the standard of my own experience. Mom and dad don't tell me who I have to be and what I have to be, right? <clears throat> and then it grows up that we get to create our own experience. I get a right to assert, which means I get to have a voice and choice. Uh, secure couples share influence where others don't. And then when you get all four feelings, of if a child or in any relationship, you feel welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered, you feel pretty good and then you feel lovable. And if you're out there in the, in the, in the moment, if you're out there listening, just think for your last relationships, if you're single or the one you're currently in, one to 10, how welcomed with joy do I feel? One to 10. How worthy and nourished do I feel to reach out my needs and expect that I'll get something back that reasonably matches my request? How, one to 10, how cherished and protected that I can go out, explore my world and come back to a safe haven of support. And then one to 10, how empowered with choice. If any of those are under, under seven or eight, you're probably thinking if one of those is missing, well, yeah, there's a few things we could work on. Two, and you're probably thinking, what's my best friend's therapist number? And three or four is when you get into a, a, a problem relationship or even a toxic relationship. Hmm. Those four feelings. If you can track them, you can, you can just ask a couple. <clears throat> I've done it many times at the beginning. Maybe the first was like, I'll just ask them that question. I have a pretty good idea of what's going on. I mean, I love that because it's really a great uh, litmus test for where the relationship is at. Because a lot of people, I'm sure, would say, hey, I'm really cherish and protect you. But maybe for the spouse or the partner, it doesn't feel like it. It may feel like overbearing or smothering. And, uh, you know, I, I talked yesterday to a client who, you know, complained about her husband, how he's always lecturing her and trying to improve her skiing and other things and you know in the end you could say well he probably feels like oh i'm empowering my wife but for her it feels disempowering because she doesn't have the space to do her own thing so uh, it's a it's a very interesting way of just seeing your needs and noticing whether they are met exactly <clears throat> in that instance she's probably not feeling a right to create her own experience very well <laughs> You know, getting back to the, the, like that couple, you were talking about cherish and protect. This is the key feeling for all couples. Well, show me this thing. You know, the, uh, if there's any inability to create a me and a we and a we, things are off. With, in this couple, she was really anxious. He had the same missing right. He had a very intrusive mother, always in his face, right? Um, and so for him, a we was, oh, I'm, I am going to lose myself. So if I get involved in a we, I'm going to lose myself. So when she would come in, it would feel like that old feeling of being invaded. And which would she, what would he do? He would pull away, which was the old feeling of I'm never going to belong. Right. <laughs> so this is the anxious pursues and he avoids. And now suddenly they're down. And in the first session, she goes, I just want a we. And he goes, what do you mean a we? We got two me's here. <laughs> right. And it, when we allowed him to feel safe, that he could be empowered in a we, 
and and helped him feel that he could be he could be cherished you know for who he was then it was safe staying and when she and when he stayed and didn't always go away then she calmed down and then we worked on her ability to feel uh secure enough that she didn't have to always give him a right to separate sometimes and when she had when both could feel cherished and protected without those other feelings of I will lose love or I will get invaded, suddenly their we just takes off. But we had to find the exact moment <clears throat> of safety, the exact flavor each of them needed. He needed to feel empowered in a way. She needed to feel, I guess for lack of a better word, safe in a way, that it wouldn't go away. Now, before we go and break, one question about cherished and empowered what would be like one of those simple ways that you would suggest to the listeners to just cherish and empower their partner more? What's something okay. that, you know, works really well? For cherish, you know, to cherish is to really see them. All the, to see them for who they are and to, and to somehow get behind their dreams, to, to be the, the safety net under the higher bar act, to really see who they are and when they and to be of support, that way you're the we that helps empower them. That leads to and empowerment is the biggest thing for couples is sharing influence. <laughs> it's sharing influence, really listening, not just compromising your soul, but to find a you know a really workable solution where they feel they have influence, and so do you. So it's I would say uh, cherish is really seeing and being able to empower their dreams and empowering is to make sure it's a win-win it's sharing influence so both sets of dreams are being empowered and to make sure you give them a voice that you truly listen even when you disagree with them you don't have to agree with their experience you just have to listen to them well that's really really wonderful advice and i think when you hear it you think like oh yeah this is a no-brainer but actually i think a lot of couples just really have blind spots on those you know key emotions that nourish and feed a secure relationship so when we come back we'll talk more about the you know four mentioned we what is the we and how do we nurture them we and also about those rights that you mentioned that are just also very important in understanding yourself and how you are in a relationship better so stay tuned we'll be right back Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. We are talking about love and how to create secure love and how to dare to love again. And uh, Gary, before the break, we talked about that, uh, that we. What is the we and uh, how do we nourish it? Okay, that's a great question. Uh, I, I personally, in the book, I, I talk about the rights of the we. I, those are my favorite sections of the book. Uh, what I found out is that you know, um, for a long time, couples therapy wasn't that effective. For many, many years, the average effectiveness rate was about 28%, maybe 35. And then the relapse rate took it down quite a bit. <clears throat> because therapy was tended to see two me's, and, and they, uh, but a, a marriage or any partnership or any uh, really intimate relationship is there's a third entity that has to be there. It's the we. And I know that whenever I'm dealing with a couple, my real client isn't either one of them. It's actually the we between them. And if I can create 
clean up the space so they, they can create a we. That relationship's going to work. As I've said on stage, show me a couple without a we and I'll show you a war. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's the truth. So what it does, that we is, that, is that, that third level of energy between a couple that really creates closeness and safety and, if, and uh, a unity. So they're not thinking just in terms of me. That'll kill a relationship. They are, secure couples have this, we, when they think of their plans, they think of the other. Um, they're, they're planning ahead, they consult, they share influence, right? Uh, they are attuned. They, a lot of couples, they kind of know when things went off and they'll check in before the other one has to come back in. That's a we. Is there a risk to lose yourself in the we and forget the me? There is if you don't have a secure right to separate and belong. That right is a Goldilocks. This one isn't lost. Like you can lose a right. The, the rights, I, you know, we, I guess I should say who they are. There's a right to exist. You get that from feeling welcome with joy. Mm -hmm. There's a right to reach out for your needs and be able to take and receive. That's called, uh, and that comes from feeling uh, worthy and nourished. Cherished and protected, that feeling gives you a right to separate and belong. And then if you felt empowered with choice as a child, you have a right to create your own experience and a right to assert. And when you add them all together, you have a right to love and be loved. Mm -hmm. So this, this one, you can have a missing right to exist or a missing right to have your needs met. But this one is a Goldilocks. It's split. You either get one or the other. And so the we won't feel, you, you'll lose yourself if you have, it you can come two ways. Uh, most times it's anxious who feel like they had a model of always being enmeshed and they never got a chance to truly develop a me. They will always be dependent on mom or dad to complete them because the mother and dad or caretaker never uh, gave them a chance to separate. You take away that, so they have to be a complete me in somebody else. They never got a right to separate. Sure, they will. They can, they, that will warp the we. And then the other person feels like they've got a twin they, they're hanging on their arm. And that doesn't work. Sometimes when you hear of twin flames, mm -hmm. um, uh, if you get under the hood enough, you'll find out that one or the other had no right to, to separate. So if you've got a proper right, the we is really good. There's none of that going on. But the right to separate basically just means that you have a right to go out, explore your own desires, and, uh, and maybe also really go after your own uh, you know, self-development and uh, figuring out who you are, knowing that you come back and are still welcome, even if you have changed or even if you have... Uh, Know, spend some time apart is that what the right to separate is about that's it is you get to go out you get to be able to do yourself and you, but when you go out and you do you know the workshop you do tony robbins or joe Dispenza or whoever your guru is right then you bring it back and then and you bring back that and you're discussing or you both go out and do it and you do it in your own different way you know? mm. I was talking to a couple earlier this week that went out and did a big workshop. They went and then they brought it and then they discussed, how can we implement that? But they did their own work, right? So they, it's that ability to go out and be in the attachment theory as a term for it. It's called secure base. 
go out, but you have a home port in somebody else's heart, uh, some place to refer, refurbish yourself. You know, when you go out, not all of self-actualization is without trials. You can go out and you can be doing your thing and you say, honey, uh, you know, the vice, I'm starting this company and uh, uh, the vice president quit. <laughs> you know, and you need some support that night <laughs> because you weren't expecting that, right? right. Yes, that's what a we is. It's a, and, and then you get to go out and you, you get to pursue your dreams, but somebody else also is supporting you. Very few of us have been self-actualized by ourselves. It's a lonely road to do it. And it doesn't work so well. Well, it's more survival. You know, I, I just uh, talked to someone who um, has problems with uh, her husband. And so as soon as there are problems, she has a right to separate and really wants to be away from him rather than trying to figure it out together. And so I'm, you know, I mean, in some ways, these are often people that have been really for most of their life, very independent, very self-reliant, really knowing I just know that I have my back. I don't know about the others, but I know I have my back. And, and how do you really practice the right to belong when your husband drives you crazy? <laughs> That's an interesting one. When your husband drives you crazy. I haven't, yeah, I've heard that quite a bit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I asked a woman on stage once who'd been married 55 years. Uh, she was on one of my workshops. And uh, now actually I didn't, uh, somebody from the, uh, a woman said, did you ever consider divorcing in 55 years? And she goes, oh no, never divorcing. Murder, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was a funny moment, but in the instance you were talking about, uh, you know, this person wants to separate because at some point in time they learned that they were that the we was never going to attune. Better to do a preemptive mood move. I, like for instance, let's just get real here. I grew up with a, a, a genuinely borderline personality disorder mother, violent, to be honest with you. Right now, if you could want to be, if you're in the kitchen and for a four-year-old being in the kitchen, playing with your toys is the equivalent of the Wii, right? <clears throat> but if you get knocked against a wall enough times, you think it's better to play in my room. You don't want to be a part. Uh, you know that if you're, if you're part of that Wii, it's going to be misattuned. It's not going to be safe. So I tended to go and play with my toys and read books and make my own little world up in my, in my, uh, in my bedroom. Right. That became a template for feeling safe. By all means, stay out of the we, right? I did not realize that when I was going through, you know, trying to get into a doctoral program, doing my doctorate, that me being up in my study far too many hours was me doing the same safety protocols. Mm. And I didn't understand when my first wife said, I'm lonely. And I said, how can you be lonely? I'm in here. I'm in the house with you. <laughs> That's a far cry from being with her, right? Because, and so it, no, and feeling part of a we was very, was very scary. Mm -hmm. When I finally did the deep work, I realized I was petrified of being, and, and it was not being safe or losing myself. My independence became my salvation, but it, but that was the best deal available at four. But it's not with a normal woman who just wants to welcome you into their heart yeah. <laughs> and just needs, right? So what, any, any of these old patterns, at one time was the best deal. We don't make them wrong. 
We just want to love that part up and, and give it this type of safety that we can, and then tie that safety to what we want and what we need in our relationship. So we never make those parts wrong. There's nothing wrong with an anxious or avoidant. It kept you on the planet. It's just not serving you now. It's like having secure, it's like having protocols, uh, security protocols, but nobody gave you the memo when they expired. <laughs> it's time to give some of them an expiration date. Well, the problem is also that these protocols really distort reality. Just like, you know, when we are in this place of, you know, my husband drives me crazy. It's not necessarily that that is really all of what the husband is, but we are then in those moments of those old survival patterns, simply only highlighting the things that don't feel safe or that feel somehow not trustworthy. And we are ignoring everything else that is actually positive and, uh, and lovable about the other partner. So what do you do yes. to get a more, let's say, realistic or neutral perspective on your partner again? There's two levels of this, okay? One is realizing that if you have, uh, say, a missing right to belong, uh, because you don't have a right to belong, you're going to choose someone who's going to give you that experience back. We only have the experience we have the rights back. So we will choose someone who will give us the very thing <laughs> that we don't want. Mm. Now, this is where the rubbish. Yes, we chose him. There's going to be some behavior there that is going to drive us crazy. Because that's what we chose. If someone doesn't have a right to have their needs met, they'll find someone who's a taker. Someone who doesn't feel disempowered, they're going to find someone who dominates them that's always telling them what to do, like that one lady <laughs> you were talking about, right? Now, this is where it gets tricky. But because the brain is protecting, it starts filtering for that experience. Yeah. And then it sees what isn't there. Uh, and, if you, and if that partner isn't good enough to give them, or they start cleaning their stuff up, the other person will prod them into giving them back that old missing right. And, and this trick sitting in my chair is to realize which one's going on and how to tactfully communicate. And then the other thing is to realize that all of this uh, leads to core negative images of the other person, right? And that, that, that negative image that we have in our mind of our spouse is never the truth. It's always based on the worst possible moment, <laughs> right? You know, you see it in sometimes when you see uh, snapshots of celebrities and the, and the paparazzi finds the absolute worst moment in a moment where they were all decked out of it, but they had some strange look in this microsecond, <laughs> right? And that yeah. becomes the head of it, right? And then the whole nation sees the moment she went like that or whatever, <laughs> right? But to realize that uh, very few times uh, are our spouses really uh, that. And with there's a tendency for that, our brain, the part of our brain that just makes associations, it, it doesn't do, it's a reptilian brain, it doesn't, it makes these core images, and it doesn't do comparison. Mm. It simply says, <clears throat> oh my gosh, there's an action, and he's just like my father, oh my God, and then pretty soon they're just like, or he's right. just like my ex, and they became the same thing. That part can't say, you know, he's 13% like my father, or he's, he's, <laughs> he's, or he's 7% like my ex. And soon the old feelings are there. And so it's important to realize that until we can clean up, release that past pain, it will dog us. It will invade. It will, it will 
it will do nothing good for the relationship. We will class, we will either pick someone to give it to us, we will prod them to give it to us, or we will project it. <clears throat> well, one of the things that I find so empowering, uh, also from the processes that uh, I have learned, is how to actually learn more that your partner has your back. And I think, you know, when we have these old beliefs of I have the right to separate but not to belong, then we don't necessarily trust our partner. We don't necessarily feel like, you know, that this person has the back. So when we come back, we're gonna talk about two things that I really find very helpful for everyone to boost their relationship by simply practicing these exercises. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. Love is in the air. It's the month of love, anyhow. And I'm here with Gary, who has just so many wonderful things to share about uh, love and how to create a more secure relationship. Now, Gary, how can people find you and talk a little bit about your book? Okay. Well, you can find me at www.garysalyer.com. Uh, there's all sorts of good stuff there. There's even a video series you can sign up for. Um, and it's, the book is on Amazon. It's called Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve. It's for both singles and couples. I split the difference. because it's uh, excellent yeah. book. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> because? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. I was going to make it just for singles at first. And I have a really good friend who's, Man, she's been married to Jim for like 20 years. They have a great marriage. And she's reading the book. And, and she calls me after reading the second chapter. She goes, I'm mad at you. I'm going, why? She goes, why do you not want to speak to me simply because I'm a happily married woman? She goes, you don't think I have issues in my marriage? Well, I do. And I want help too. <laughs> And she convinced me that I had to write it about singles and couples. I was going to write two different books. And so it's for both. Um, and a lot of people feel that uh, it all it will do is I want you to, I wrote the book for like, if, how can you know what it feels like to be loved? Because for most of us that grew up in less than wonderful families or maybe had a bad relationship, that'll do it too, as a, maybe a first marriage we forget what it's like or we never got the feeling and so we go through life with these missing feelings and unworthy or disempowered is our reference and then we wonder why love goes away and the book is a homecoming with your heart it's mm. about and you'll just feel that's what it meant to feel like and and it's not the deep work I do. I can't do that in a book, but it gives people real GPS like, oh, this is where true north is. That explains why I kept getting in the weeds. And you really don't have to read the book if you feel like, um, you know, uh, only if you feel like your marriage is in trouble or your relationship has problems. If you have a great relationship and you feel perfectly happy, there is always an upgrade. There is always a way to connect more, to make it more solid, to go to the next level. And that's what I love about the book, that it's not just problem-oriented, it's actually about awareness. And it's about these things that we somehow feel, but we couldn't put our fingers on, or we didn't really know exactly what they meant. And, and in your book, you just make 
complete sense out of it. But I wanted to get to those two exercises. One is the, the stress relieving conversation, which I just find is a, a wonderful way to spend 10 or 20 minutes with your partner and feel so much closer afterwards. Can you just say a few words about that? Oh yeah, <clears throat> it's really interesting. The stress relieving conversation, it can either be a really wonderful way of doing welcome with joy or, or maybe even it's cherished and protected according to what came up. The, the research showed that when couples came in for, for work, they were, and the difference between those who relapsed and went back to their ways and those who didn't was only one thing. The masters who didn't relapse uh, were people that, you know, maybe four or five times a week after work, they would have, or whenever it was appropriate, uh, they would have stress relieving conversations. For 10 minutes each, they would just naturally share how their day went. Oh my God, I, you know, I, my boss did this or my bad friend did that. And the stress relieving conversation isn't about giving advice. The other one did not listen. It did not, they did not criticize. They're like, well, you know, well, I can see why your boss would do that. You do tend to show up late. They don't do stuff like that, right? <laughs> you know, what they did is they just listened. Oh, well, tell me more about how you felt. That must have felt horrible, honey. Tell me more. And when both partners just loved each other, just listened, they, they did not do any fixing. It's just feeling with the other person, really resonating. Not saying, well, that was, that was a tough day. Like, wow, that must have been really scary. Using emotion words, well, gosh, that must have been frustrating. Like, you know, that was horrible. <laughs> you know, when they did that, it kept the stress from coming into their relationship. Mm -hmm. And when, when stress comes into the relationship, we go into survival mode. And then right. we start treating each other. And then that's when old skills that don't work come up. So the big thing for couples to do is to make sure that four or five times a week, you are just listening without persuasion, just feeling. And for men, feel, resonate. That woman's going to want to hear a word like frustrated, angry. You know? And yes, that's how I feel, right? Uh, that's, it's, a, it's a game changer. And it is a game changer. And I think it's important to also mention that some, you know, men and women uh, feel then that a way to empathize is to bring it back to themselves and that they say like, yeah, I know exactly how you feel because when I dot, 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 dot. And it's also to avoid that, just, you know, stay with your partner as the, the most important person to focus and witness and listen to and don't bring it to back to yourself because I think that's also something that you know makes you feel welcome with joy to have undivided attention and not feel that you know the other person needs to uh, give you know their opinion or their experience to it exactly get off self switch into the other person it's all about their time. Yeah, if you do that, and it, the, the remedy is just to get curious, <clears throat> to ask open-ended questions. So what's right. the worst? Gosh, honey, what was the worst part about that? Oh, my right. God. Well, you know, what else were you feeling? You know, it, and you can just, and you'll be able to know it's working because you'll see them, whew, oh, my God, it was horrible. You know, that you can see 
the, the, the parasympathetic reset. <laughs> right. You know, their eyes will soften, their head will come forward. But it, and you can tell when maybe it didn't resonate when they kind of go like this. <laughs> you know, you go, oh, did I get that wrong, honey? Well, that wasn't what. Well, what were you really feeling? Let me get, help me, help me. You know, and you can offer repair. It's easy enough to notice if you did if they didn't feel felt. And the key is, do they feel felt? <laughs> they feel felt good. Right. Yeah. And it's practice. You may not be perfect right away, but doing it and maybe even having a little script that you have, like, oh, these are the questions that, you know, I want to ask or want to be asked. It's not stilted. It really makes a difference because on a deeper emotional subconscious level, you feel hurt. And don't we all want to be hurt at some point? Now, the other one is the bit, the famous bit, which I think is also... Yeah. Again, yeah. something that a lot of people are just not getting. You have two minutes to talk about the bit. <laughs> okay, bids. Okay, all bids are under the feeling of, of worthy and nourished. Um, bids are bids for attention, huh? Um, uh, can can you you know? Uh, can you help me with uh, you know making supper tonight, right? Or, honey, uh, have we paid the mortgage today? Or, uh, what about this? Or, did you see that bird over there? You know, and birds come in three for three varieties. Do we turn toward them? Well, yeah, that bird reminds me of the one on our honeymoon. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. That's a great bit. That's a great response back. Then we feel worthy and nourished, right? Mm. Um, but we can also do the turn away, where you, you don't even notice it. You're you're looking at you know, you're looking at your iPhone going. Did you say something? <laughs> right? Or uh, the other one is to turn against. Oh, honey, the bird isn't that important, right? Or, you know, I'm busy. You can do, can you cook supper yourself tonight? <laughs> right? Those are against. Now, the masters turn towards each other, make each other feel worthy 86% of the time. And the couples that don't, we know from research, about 33% of the time. And so it's important to notice these bids. Love is really not big patterns. Is that it's it's in little tiny micro moments. Uh, I talk about managing the moment, and the more you can turn toward each other, uh, in a tuned way, feeling yeah oh yeah let me see if I can stop this you know you can't say can we do it in a half hour when I can really help you right or whatever find a way to turn toward them so they feel nourished and worthy and. Mm -hmm. That's, that's huge. This is actually the fundamental thing, right? Along with making what's called love maps, making mental notes of what they need ahead of time, right? So that um, you know that they like uh, lots of sugar in their coffee, or they don't like coffee, you know, so that they're not always having to do every bit of it for you, right? right. So if you can do the bids uh, and the stress-relieving conversations, uh, stay away from turning against or turning away. You know, it's turning toward. That is a game changer. Most couples uh, are horrible. And listening, just thinking about what the stress-reducing conversation does. The average person <clears throat> in most conversations says 17 words before the other person interrupts. To give somebody a 10-minute conversation is a gift beyond measure. And I really love it what you said just about the little things that matter. You know, often we are going into the romantic overkill on Valentine's Day and feeling, well, I show you how much I love you because I bought you three dozen roses and had a lavish dinner with you. But 
that's really nothing compared to, like you said, getting a little bit of attention or having some conversations where you just listen to and thank you, Gary, we could talk for two and a half hours. We could definitely <laughs> extend this or longer. So, but uh, it was just fabulous to have you in the show and um, thank you for all your wisdom. Just give your website one more time so that people know how to find you. Well, thank you, Friedemann. You're a wonderful man, wonderful soul. Uh, my website is www.garysalyer.com. G-A-R-Y-S-A-L-Y-E-R. -E and uh, you can get links to the book there. Free gifts, all sorts of stuff. Check it out. It's worth it. And it definitely, whether you're single or in a relationship, you can benefit from learning how to love securely yourself and others again. That was it for Empowerment Radio this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, will we be back soon? Take care. Goodbye. You've been listening to Empowerment Radio with Dr. Friedman Schaub. Join Dr. Friedman every first and third Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives. To learn more about how Dr. Friedman's personal breakthrough program can help you overcome fear, anxiety, and low self-esteem, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com.